Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Fresno's Best Podcast. Not the best podcast in Fresno, but the podcast that celebrates the best people in Fresno. On today's episode, we have Alice Daniel, the news director for Valley Public Radio. Alice was great to talk to, and we covered a lot of areas. We talked about her climb through the different domains of journalism, what initially brought her to Fresno, some of her time uh, spent teaching in Ghana, uh, the kinds of stories that stick out to her about the valley, the beauty of small towns, and much more. I know you're going to love this episode, so let's go meet Alice. Welcome. This is Fresno's Best Podcast, and we have Alice Daniel with us today. Um, Thanks just... for pronouncing my name right. I did? Yeah. No, I do people Do people not normally pronounce they it correctly? They usually correct? say Daniels. Daniels. Oh, with uh-huh. the S. Mm-hmm. Got it. Oh, okay. So thanks. Well, so... <laughs> people never get right. Your name is hard to pronounce. What's your last name? It's Gavroyan. There you go. Yep. <laughs> but I said her name wrong for years. I literally said Gavroyan. I said Gavorian. Yeah. No, I said no, no. Gavorian. Mm-hmm. And Everyone I even had does. it like in my phone, like if I would call her, I'd say Gavorian, call Gavorian. It would, <laughs> it would call Gavorian. Um, so we brought you on because we were very interested in the work you do. Um, and someone that does reporting on the Valley uh, has insights into the Valley that uh, not a lot of people have because there's, there's a, a breadth there of experience. And so um, let's, I just want to start with a simple question. Did you always know you wanted to be a journalist? I thought you were going to ask me about being on the other side. <laughs> oh, that's true. Surprise. I could ask you about that. Uh-huh. Um, See, I'm already manipulating the yeah, interview. So <laughs> Sorry. In the preview, we talked about how we should structure the podcast. So um, really, you, you take either direction. Where do you want to go? No, that's fine. I, I, yeah, let's just go with the, the, the question. Ask that question again. Okay. So the question was, did you always know you wanted to be a journalist? No. Okay. I did not. So when I was in, in college, I was interested in international relations. And I was interested because when I was in high school, my dad got a Fulbright to teach at the University of Nairobi in Kenya. And it was such a pivotal experience for me. I was growing up in mostly in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so to go from Knoxville to Nairobi, Kenya was just huge, just eye-opening, especially when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. And it changed my world. And that's what I thought I would do. I thought I would go into international relations. But when I graduated from college, my brother, who is quite a bit older than I am, I'm the youngest of six kids. I have three brothers and two sisters. But my oldest brother had just started an environmental magazine. Oh, um, in Boulder, Colorado, which is where I was born. And he didn't have any money really to hire real writers or real people. So he hired his sister <laughs> and that was me. That's awesome. That's the best kind of experience though. That kind of random, you know, getting pulled into something. Right. Kind exactly. of like this podcast a little bit. Exactly. Getting pulled into something. Right. <laughs> and so, so I went to back to Boulder and I worked for him for a year and because he couldn't really afford to hire real writers, he let me do some stories and I got to travel and do really interesting things. Wow. And that's what I thought journalism was. Like I got to uh, do a story on this animal rights activist um, in Canada who uh, was trying to stop 
the clubbing of fur seals off of Prince Edward mm. Island. I got to do a story on the Everglades and sort of the impact of tourism on the Everglades. So, so I was, he was kind enough to send me to these really interesting places. So I thought that was what journalism was. So of course I was going to go to journalism school. And he had a friend who worked at the New York times who basically said, well, you don't have much experience. You should, you should go back and get a degree in journalism. Mm -hmm. So then went to school. I went to Columbia. So what was the name of this magazine? It was called Buzzworm. Buzzworm? Mm-hmm. I like it. Right. It's kind of a, it's a term for rattlesnake. Okay. Oh. And so, you know, the, the buzz, like wake up people. Oh, that's oh. awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So does it still it was, exist or is it something so that's moved archives of that. No, it does not no. exist. It, it lasted for a few years. He did, a, he did a nice job with it. He's a photographer and it had really beautiful photography and he ended up, you know, he was able to hire Real writers after he used his sister. So. You were a real writer. Yeah. If you're Not published, at the time. No, at the time, I really, quite frankly, didn't know what I was doing. But yeah. you know, yeah. I took a chance. So, um, what did you? What was Columbia like? Um, were you jumping in with a bunch of uh, kind of journalists that were going back to school to improve their craft, or was it a lot of you know kind of undergrad students transitioning into the mm-hmm. graduate program? What was the kind of environment like there? It was a real mix of, of people who had some experience and people who, you know, like me, had gotten degrees in something else and then decided, I want to do this instead. Life does that sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of, yes. In fact, I remember one of the students told me, I am mid-career and I'm going to go from, you know, she was in finance and she decided to go into journalism. Wow. She was only like 28. So I thought, wow, mid-career at, at 28. 28? <laughs> <laughs> must be ni- must wow. be nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, she was very focused. Mm-hmm. But the program, it was really good because um, it emphasized a couple of things that I think matter in journalism. One is ethics. They really focused on that. There was a whole course on ethics, and we would all sit in this big room and talk about different, you know, dilemmas that people might have, journalists might have in covering stories and we would be called on to, you know, discuss how we would respond to something. And it just, it made me think a lot about being an ethical journalist. Um, we also had a first amendment class with oh, a nice. well-known first amendment lawyer who treated it like a law class wow. and he would call on us just out of the blue randomly. He'd have all our names and he would call on us after we'd read a case and ask questions. I was always just petrified. Yeah, that's intimidating. Luckily, he didn't. He never? never called on me. He was like, I don't know so, if it's Daniel or Daniels, so, so I'm not going to risk it. Yeah. Exactly. He was he's afraid. Like, I don't know. Yeah. He was going to mispronounce yeah. Daniel. So, yeah. So there was that. And then um, at the time, they had a newspaper in the South Bronx. They called it the Bronx Beat. And that was basically one semester of, of you know, that was a that was the course for one semester where we just worked for the Bronx Beat on top of taking other classes. And at the time, the South Bronx was pretty run down. Um, it's not a place that a tourist would go, right? Sure. But it was a place that had you know, phenomenal stories and just interesting people doing amazing things to sort of rebuild the South Bronx. And so as, you know, 
aspiring journalists. We would go there to cover stories and then write them, and we'd print them out in the Bronx Beat. And uh, one of my favorite stories that I did was about a monastery where it was um, one of the oldest monasteries in the United States. I think it was called Corpus Christi Monastery. Hmm. And the nuns were cloistered there. So in the middle of this sort of rundown kind of, I would say, dangerous neighborhood um, where you saw a lot of, you know, activity that hmm. that sort of um, made you, you know, think about people's hard lives and um, what they were dealing with in terms of, like, drugs and prostitution. So you would walk by that, and then you would come up to this incredible convent that was just beautiful in the middle of all of this. And you'd walk inside, and they had the most stunning view of the Manhattan skyline I've ever seen. No way. So that was a great experience for me, Mm. because I kind of had to put on my reporter's hat, and I kind of became a different person, you know? wasn't. I wasn't really scared once I was in the South Bronx stories because I was in reporter mode. That's right. cool. It's like the the um, braveness just kind of like immediately. It's like simultaneous with becoming a journalist, right? You have to enter into these stories and these places. No, it's true. I think you you when you um, start working as a journalist, you do you become someone else. It's almost mm. like a role you play. That's kind of fun. Yeah. It sounds kind of fun. Uh-huh. You do things that you wouldn't do otherwise. Because mm. you, you have to if you want to get a story. And A um, little bit of a mask and a cape, kind of like some... Yeah, a little you know, bit, yeah. Become... Especially now as a radio reporter. At that time, I was more of a print reporter. But, mm. you know, now I have my headphones and my microphone and... The tools of the trade. Yeah, exactly. So... Well, so... I can imagine, like, when you're, when you're in a in a program where you're really studying and you have some kind of formative experience that can kind of really chart for how you see the world, you know, and you're talking about these dualities, right. Of like, you know, um, crime, poverty, all the kind of the, the challenges of urban life. And then, you know, the beauty that's made, you know, in the midst of that. And we talked about that last week with Reza or, or last time with Reza. And, you know, we talked about, and I, I kind of, we had this interesting exchange where we talked about, you know, does Fresno get a bad rap or is Fresno really a, a place that kind of deserves the rap? Mm-hmm. And we talked about how there, you have to both acknowledge the problems. You can't ignore the problems, mm-hmm. um, but you can also acknowledge the positives too. And it doesn't have to be an either or thing. And I think he, he really explained that to us. And it kind of sounds like what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, about being in the Bronx. Is there, is there things that, was the Bronx going through gentrification at that time? Were they having those kind of, or was it before that, where it's just been a more just urban decay and those kind of problems? I think there was some hope for gentrification from some people, but at that point there were a few projects, but overall I would say it was still in decline. Hmm. So let's fast forward. So how did you get from the Bronx to here and what was in between? Um, there was actually a, quite a bit in between. I, I met my husband in college, and so we've been together for a really long time. Mm-hmm. 
and he and I lived in a lot of places, um, including so New York. And then I took a job at the Augusta Chronicle in Augusta, Georgia. Oh, that's that's a big change from it New was York a City. Big, yes, it was a big change. Although I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, okay. so it wasn't. It, 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 it's not like I had culture shock or something. No, right, <laughs> right. You knew what was I knew there. what I was the getting South. into. Right. Yeah. Um, although it was funny, um, the, some of the editors there called me a Yankee because I had just come from really? school in New York. Mm-hmm. I know. I've, not I, a, I grew up in Tennessee. I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not. I know. I put on my accent and everything. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you can you like just whip it out right now? Well, what's what's Knoxville known for? It's like Nashville's country, Memphis's blues, jazz, right? Memphis, yes. Uh-huh. So what's what's Knoxville known for? Um, it's thing? also known for country and, is it? and bluegrass. Okay. And, you know, Dolly Parton's Dollywood is not far from uh, Knoxville. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, okay. I didn't okay. know that. And I so, said Knoxville. So you're, yeah, you did. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. you're country. You're a little country. I'm a little bit country. Okay. okay. But not much. Rock and roll. <laughs> but not much. It's in the roots. Yeah. Yeah. My family, my family does not have southern roots, but okay. that's where we were. Got it. Got when okay. I was growing up. And mm-hmm. then... Um, so all this time, your husband's a saxophone player, right? Mm-hmm. And so he was teaching music or, or, well, we were living kind of a, a bohemian life. Excellent. Tell sure, us more about sure that. He was. he was teaching <laughs> some music. Yeah. We spent, I would say we spent a good chunk of our late twenties trying to figure out what to do with our lives. Mm. And, um, he ended up because we were in, I was actually in Aiken, South Carolina, which was a which was the bureau for the South Carolina coverage. And um, he ended up going to the University of South Carolina to get his doctorate oh, wow. in composition just because he was bored and he had to figure out something to do. <laughs> He's like, I've got to find something, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. But we didn't last that long in Aiken. I was Aiken and Aiken. Yeah. And, you were Aiken and um, Aiken? I was Aiken. <laughs> Aiken is a very cute town, but there were, there were things about it I was not. I did not like, hmm. and um, I was restless. I didn't really like my job that much. Um, newspaper reporting is not my thing, I would say. Okay. Um, taught me a lot, but it's not my thing. And um, I, didn't like cover- I didn't like having beats, for one, because, you know, it just means it's, it's kind of the constant grind of covering something over and over again. And beats. I, yeah. yeah. Like, in my beat, I think, was education, hmm. one of them. So it taught me something, but it wasn't something I wanted to stick with. Um, a and then too from confining. there, too confining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't feel creative enough. And, um, from there we, well, we lived in several other places. See, we lived in Asheville, North Carolina for a little while. I was freelancing and then we moved back to Knoxville for a little while where Ben was teaching at the university. Um, we traveled around a lot. <laughs> we were and just then, free spirits. And, and then, then there's a Fresno state job then, that was offered at some point, yes. right? And okay, then so that the was Fresno the... State job came up, and we came out to look around, and I <laughs> was shocked okay. by how amazing Fresno is. Right? Like this is paradise. <laughs> She's where, like the skyline. <laughs> it really felt like a different country yeah. to me, yeah. really, um, because it was well, because it's so dry and hot, mm. and we came out in August. Oh, oh God. And yeah, we that's like the worst month to visit. <laughs> we were staying at Extended Stay America. <laughs> so you're staying at the Hilton. Yeah, exactly. You're in Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember crying a lot. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so, so wait, how did you make the that decision? Or... 
of those real tears? What? Was it the dry air or were those were real my, tears? Were my eyes watering? Yeah. <laughs> no, they were real tears. But it, tears for other reasons too. Yeah, but, okay. you know, sure. No. So what led you to stay then? So that's a good question. I think we just made it work and mm. we have really great friends here. Mm. We have a, a lot of people who we feel, you know, who's going to bring us cake when we're sick if we move somewhere else, mm. right? Yeah. Um, just people who we really admire and who do, do good work and who are interesting. There's a lot of interesting people in Fresno. Oh, that's a good point. And, uh, and it doesn't hurt that we're close to three national parks, mm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that about, slow, like, you... You gradually... You gradually... It's a, you know. it's a process living in Fresno. It's a process. To love it. Mm-hmm. It's a process to love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I, I often joke with my friends that Fresno is my teacher. Oh. Mm-hmm. The name of my book. Uh, really? No. Oh. <laughs> I was like, let's see. I want to read that, that book. Will be yeah. right up in Barnes and Noble on the front. Uh-huh. Fresno is my, my teacher. teacher. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you have to go sign copies mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. What about the? Um, we're we're biased because we're from here, so we always think our food's better. Is that in our heads, or is is the valley in Fresno? Did you taste the difference in like our? Oh, it's a huge. It's huge, huge difference. difference. One of my, I remember one of my friends old friends came out to visit when we first moved here, like maybe a year after we were here. And I was still trying to figure out this place and decide if I wanted to stay. And, um, he's, he's one of those people who's enthusiastic about every, every place and loves life and sees the best in everything. And he went out to our, our backyard and found an orange and he was just ecstatic. He just couldn't believe that we had an orange tree in our backyard. And he just kept picking them and he was making orange juice and just talking about how great the oranges were. Aww. And what, why was I complaining about living in Fresno? I had an orange tree in you my backyard. Orange tree. Come on, yeah. What was wrong with me? I had sequoia trees, you know, just an hour or so away. So, mm. you know, uh, having visitors. That's so sweet, but you also kind of want to hit him too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because of his enthusiasm? Or? Yeah. Because, yeah. um, you know, it, it is a wonderful new ways, but there's obviously challenges, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and as a fairly recent transplant, you know, I, I've faced some of those challenges and I think you have to be intentional to mm-hmm. get past them. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. I think the community element, and the, I've met lots of people that live in Fresno that have that same exact thing. Like, why would I move? I have this like very awesome uh, I don't want to say enmeshed because that's a bad word, but like connected community of people mm-hmm. and San Francisco would be a great place to live, but I would be alone in my apartment or, or something, you know? And I think, I think that's an underrated thing and you don't really know it until after you have it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you, if you have all of these great cafes and bookstores to go to, probably not going to work as hard to make friends. And I think the friendships are ultimately more meaningful. Now, mm-hmm. if I lived in the apartment above the Strand, I in might, it might, yeah, it might yeah. be, it might be different. I just might yeah. never move. But, no. but, but, um, I agree. Amazon is, you know, we'll or what deliver if you books just lived to my, in the Strand. If I lived in the Strand, you know, like between uh-huh. one of the shelves, uh-huh. uh, people would yeah, pull out books and see your head. That would be. <laughs> that's my fantasy. Yeah, I think it's I dream about that. Uh-huh. Um, so when you got here, wait, uh, I'm taking you... another sip of your delicious infidel. It's really yes, good. Um, so. 
This is this mm. podcast is not sponsored by anyone except McKay Wine, which we're drinking right now. Um, <laughs> this great winery in Lodi. I highly recommend it. Um, we're drinking the. It's still 2016 Zin. Uh, you know, with the French name, or I don't know, is that an Italian name? R O U S. I never know how to say it. Rus, maybe? Rue? Rouse? Rue. No, if it's French, it would be Rue, right? Rue, I oh, think. Oh, no, S. Think... I don't know. Um, I don't. Just type it in. R O U S. The important part is that it's good. Um, Real. So, did you immediately jump to working with, uh, with the radio station, or did that, was that kind of a little bit later? It was a lot later. A lot later. Okay. Yeah. So I, when we came here, then we started having children and we had 16 children. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> I like choked a little bit. <laughs> I made it sound like, I, you know, we started having children yeah, and we kept I going. Like, no, we just have two children. But, 16. Um, so, I, you know, I stayed at home at least part time with them for a long time. And I taught journalism at Fresno State. Okay. And really then. Cool. Also during that time, I heard Tamara Keith on the radio. And you know, Tamara Keith now works for NPR mm-hmm. um, in Washington. But at I've the got time, her voice in my head right now. Right, you're oh, hearing got, her right I just now. hear her saying, saying her name. In, impeachment, impeachment in uh, my head. I just hear her <laughs> saying her, her own name. Right. <laughs> she was working for the California Report. Okay. And KQED has a bureau in Fresno. So... When I heard her, I thought, oh, I should have her come talk to my class. And I called her up, asked her to come in, and she did. And radio sounded so interesting to me that I asked her, you know, how, how does one go from print journalism to radio? Are there any opportunities in the Valley? And she actually said that Valley Public Radio, KVPR, um, was looking for someone to do some feature stories. And so she uh, introduced me to some people there and I ended up doing a couple feature stories for them way back, um, kind of under, uh, Tamara Keith's guidance. And, um, what amazing really mentor. I know that's crazy. Know. Mm-hmm. Extraordinary. And, um, I loved it, but, but I didn't do that much with it after that. That was just sort of a freelance opportunity. And then, um, and then I decided to, uh, intern, with KQED when oh, Sasha awesome. Koka came in after Tamara Keith left. And after I did that, I really got in much more into radio. And then I started uh, working sort of as an on-call reporter for KQED in their bureau for several years. Awesome. And that was fun. Yeah, that sounds like fun. I do miss, I do, you know, I love KVPR, but when I was living in the Bay Area, some of the, some of the programming mm-hmm. that they the programming had is, great. is like amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the name. He was an English professor at San Francisco State, and he had a program where he kind of did like cultural conversations and book. I can't mm-hmm. remember his name, but I would listen to it like every evening mm-hmm. or maybe it was like twice a week or something. I don't know. Mm. Um, so I'm sure you learned a lot just being there around those people. You guys get programming mm-hmm. from NPR, but then you also have kind of your local programs that, that you guys do. And the, and the one that you primarily do is, is called Valley, Valley Edition. Edition. So I, I have only been at KVPR a little over a year. Okay. So after I was, after I worked KQED, then I went away for a little while. And then when I came back, the news director job came open 
and I decided to apply for it. Got it. Crushed it. Now I'm here. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you've been doing a lot of stories in Valley Edition. Um, is there some that kind of jump out at you? Anything recently that you've done or any stories in, in your time in that position or reporting in the Valley that kind of are memorable that kind of speak to something about the Valley? Well, here's the thing. There are just so many incredible stories in the Valley. It's the perfect place for a journalist because it's so diverse. Um, there's so many different immigrant communities, you know, like 85 languages are spoken in Fresno. Um, and it's, you know, the same way in so many other towns in the Valley where you just, it's just so many opportunities for stories. So I kind of feel like every story I do is, turns out to be pretty interesting. Some of the stories, I, maybe we'll go back a little bit to KQED because um, I was doing more feature stories then. Now, because I'm the news director, I'm doing a lot of things, not just yes. stories. I'm manager. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, to produce Valley Edition, a one hour news show every week takes a lot of teamwork and production. <laughs> And it involves doing everything from editing stories to figuring out what we're going to put on the show to producing it because we actually, we produce the show ourselves and we edit all our own stories. So if you have a feature story with a lot of different sound elements and interviews and you're putting it all together, then we, you know, we're also mixing it mm -hmm. ourselves. So all of that takes a lot of time. Yeah. Um, so I try to do as much as possible with Valley Edition in terms of like doing an interview or doing a story, but that's like the last thing on my plate. I'm yeah. also just making sure that it, it gets done. Yes. Yeah. I have a question just so like, you know, you are reporting all these stories in the Valley and stuff, but I want to know what to you, why are stories important and why is like broadcasting these stories important um, to you personally? Because, you know, it's, a, it's an art, and it's, um, well, we think it's important, that's why we have you, but in your words, why, why is storytelling important? I think it's because it's the way we actually connect with each other. What would we do? You know, oral, oral storytelling is so traditional in so many communities, and it's the way that you pass down information. And it's the way you tell people who are coming up what happened in the past or what's going to happen in the future. Um, I think ultimately, though, it's, it is, it's connection, being mm -hmm. able to relate to other people, getting sort of a window into other people's lives when otherwise you might not have access to them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was talking about wearing the reporter's hat earlier. The thing about being in Fresno that I like is when I put on that reporter's hat, I can go to places that I wouldn't go otherwise. Mm. And I can talk to people I wouldn't talk to otherwise, not because I wouldn't want to necessarily, but because I might be, you know, intimidated or I might not be in the right position to talk to them. But by calling up and saying, I'm a reporter I want to do a story on this, then I have access to their lives. Mm. And that to me is what makes it all worthwhile. 
It's a really cool access to have. It is. It's really it's cool. Really special. Mm. And and I've done so in terms of like some of my favorite stories. Um, well, one story that I've I've done I did uh, last I think it was last April we decided to do a, a show on Chinatown, so we just did a whole Valley edition on Chinatown Fresno's Chinatown, and I did a story on um, the new owners of the historic Buddhist temple so in Chinatown. Gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. It's really cool, it's isn't it? So cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and um, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. The new owners are immigrants from Myanmar. Wow. The old owners were Japanese. Well, originally Japanese immigrants who came here um, as farm workers over 100 years ago. And they built the temple, I think, with their hands. And um, the the Japanese congregation decided to leave and go up north after a lot of hand-wringing. And it was a hard decision to make, but they did. And then um, these immigrants from Myanmar bought the temple and they're, you know, offering meditation there. And Are they? So mm-hmm. it's functioning. It's still a Buddhist temple. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous so there. They were so fun to interview. They were so lighthearted and engaged and so interesting. It was just one of the stories where I just thought, I am so lucky to be a journalist because here I am standing in this 100-year-old Buddhist temple talking to these people who originally came from Myanmar. Oh, just to add to that, too, I feel like, so that's the, the difference between a reporter and then, you know, just a citizen, I guess. I don't know what you'd call me, but just like a normal citizen. A civilian. A civilian. Yeah, Thank you. Civilian. Yeah. Who cares about citizenship? <laughs> I'm a civilian, and you know I've been to that. <laughs> Whatever I am, okay, I've been to something. that that temple many times, but mm-hmm. I don't know anything about it except for like mm-hmm. the be- like. I just know it's it's beautiful, and I admire it. Mm-hmm. But the power of journalism is you get to reach into those spaces. You know who's operating it. You you know why they're there, how it started. Exactly. It's I have an that's excuse amazing. to be curious. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. amazing, mm-hmm. and. Our like civilians' curiosity could potentially get us there, but we don't have like the same. You don't have the shield. Access. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. The reporter shield. That's so cool. Right. And another story I, I was thinking about stories I did for KQED, and one of my favorites was about a gospel singer whose one of his songs ended up being played on the movie Moonlight, and oh, he's from Fresno. Such a good Leonard Sanders. He's from Fresno. Mm-hmm. And he was part of a, a gospel group and song. Um, it'll all be over. I think it's, it'll all be over now. It'll all be over. No, it's just, it'll all be over. Um, it's a great tune. And you can hear it in the background in one of the scenes in Moonlight. It's awesome. And he's from Fresno. And that yeah. movie won how many awards? I don't know, but. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It won Best Picture. But yeah. hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that movie, that movie like both haunted me and just stayed with me for, for probably weeks after I watched it. Yeah, that was the, that was the films. one where there was that like debacle on the stage mm-hmm. where That's... Warren Beatty was opening it up and e... they gave him the wrong. <laughs> yeah. What movie was it that? La La Land. La La Land. Uh-huh. Now, if La La Land won and Moonlight lost, I, I would cry. It would have been terrible. Uh-huh. I know. Um, so you received a Fulbright. Mm-hmm. scholarship um 
And can you just explain what that is and how it works and what yours was specifically for? Because they have different locations that they're attached to, right? When you mm-hmm. get a old, it's not just kind of like a, here, here's some money, go somewhere. Um, right, right. It, it's, it comes from the State Department. It's essentially a fellowship to teach in another country, but to do it in a way that you're representing the best of the United States. So you're essentially um, acting as a diplomat. A representative. Mm-hmm. And can you just talk a little bit about, and I can share too why I think this is annoying, um, why people just use the word Africa to describe this giant continent um, and your experience just being there and seeing the multiplicity of, you know, the different, there's so many different countries, there's so many different cultures, there's so many different, like, topographies, there's so many different climates. Right. I think it's ultimately, I think that Afri- Africa as a continent gets short shrift, you know, it's, you know, we could talk about racism. <laughs> yeah, but, we could start um, there. <laughs> so I think, I think it is in part indicative of the way we see race in the United States and that people then look at continent with people who are generally black as that big place over there that's that's not that doesn't have um different cultures and countries and topography and climate i think it's it's perhaps easier to just see it as one big place um i don't think king essentially it's just just the line i don't think you know we're i I just don't think in school you students get educated about africa um you don't take an african history class you take a european history class you take a u.s history class but my kids are not taking ap african history no Mm. so i think it's you know it's a mix of of ignorance and not necessarily someone's fault but you know just have not being been taught but also do think is a race thing to some degree so what if you were um what would you like people to know about africa that maybe they don't know as having that it's not a country that is not a country <laughs> okay right, we, we got that. that part anything mm-hmm. else about um i mean you could just stick to where you were which was ghana right mm-hmm. um the things that you were surprised when you got there that you didn't you know, maybe kind of take it back to your own level of like not knowing what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, let me think about this for a second. So I think Americans are brought up to believe that we're superior somehow. Um, I just think that's in our culture to believe that we look outside of our country and we think we kind of compare other people, other cultures to us in a way that's like, well, you know, it's interesting. They have interesting things going on, but it's not America. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not this sort of um, utopia that we've been told to believe we live in. I'm, I wonder if I'm getting to the point. I don't know. So. Not in okay. this room. Okay. Um. Well, we were talking about uh, just like maybe things that you didn't know before you went to Ghana that maybe you learned when you got okay, there. Okay, so, like, so where I'm going with this is that I, too, am guilty of that. Right. 
Right. Because I was raised in a country that told me I'm special because I was raised here, basically. And, and that was one of the sort of slaps in the face when I realized, okay, yes, I am lucky that I grew up in the United States. I, I do feel very fortunate because there are many good things about growing up here and we're one of them, freedom of the press. Um, <laughs> Says but, the journalist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, the people I met in Ghana weren't, you know, saying to me, oh, you're so lucky to be an American. You know, they, they had their own lives. Mm. They were lucky to be Ghanaian and um, their own perspectives. They, they, it's not as if they were like looking at their world through American eyes. And I think mm. that, I think that sometimes Americans as travelers sort of see it that way. Like, oh, they must think, Wait, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not doing this very well. No, I'm, no, no, I'm completely doing, I, following. I, like, yeah, Amer- yeah like um, Americans. Some the, the general. I know this is a generalization, but it's often that when Americans travel, they are coming from this belief that you know our country's the. We're, it's instilled in all of us that our mm-hmm. country's the best, and mm-hmm. we enter different lands and peoples, you know, thinking that, mm-hmm. and we have this like inclination for them to think that we're also from the like a residual place. like mm-hmm. you know you want them to mirror back what you see of yourself mm-hmm. was or that, that your experience think... like when because you've done traveling in yeah i mean well the places that i lived in i lived in greece and i lived in armenia mm. and both those places are not oh i lived in greece during the um they're like economic club so they were not a fan of america <laughs> that was a Mm-hmm. I, there was, was they rough. had like a dummy of um, Obama hanging, and mm-hmm. over his head said debt. Like mm. they're blaming America for their debt, and then Armenia, you know, Russia, Russia treats Armenia like a little brother, and since Russia is against America, you know, they're kind of not best of best of friends. Mm-hmm. Well, some people are, but but um, you know, Armenia sides with Russia and everything in the world. Mm-hmm. So being an American, they're like, oh, they kind of pitied me mm-hmm. instead of it being like, oh, yeah, I'm from this amazing place. It was mm-hmm. more like, oh, mm-hmm. sorry you live with that mm-hmm. type of thing. Is that is sort of the, what you're getting at? Like, Well, just that the whole ethnocentricity <clears throat> that we carry with us and then sort of the realization that, oh, wait a minute, they're not, they're not thinking about the United States every day. Yeah. You know, this isn't their center. Um, and I knew that it's not like I didn't know that intellectually, right? but, but I do think it's important when you travel to really reckon, recognize that in yourself hmm. and, and to see it from a more emotional perspective too. Um, like for instance, I was in one of the classes I was teaching, I was talking about ethics and journalism and you know, I, scored, I think I was kind of on my high horse talking about specific things that I thought journalists should do. Um, one of them was, you know, not to take gifts. And some of the students in my class kind of called me on that and they said, well, journal, many journalists here don't get paid very well. Mm. So they're going to accept bribe. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. how, how does that I mean, I, my response would be like, how do you stay objective? Then? Mm-hmm. Like, how does that work? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think they do. <laughs> yeah, okay. But I mean, so just more honest about their, right. The system, 
the system doesn't support journalists being ethical all the time. Mm. Right? Because if they're not making any money and they're supporting families, they might make the decision to accept a bribe and then to couch a story in a certain way. Mm. So it's, you know, it's way more complicated than that. There are also really good journalists in Ghana, amazing journalists doing fantastic investigative Mm. work and getting paid well for it. But but a lot of the newspapers, I think, didn't pay journalists very well. And I don't, I don't know much about Ghana uh, mm-hmm. in terms of their political situation or really, I don't know. I don't know much about it. Um, mm-hmm. What, what, what um, how would you describe kind of the society there and, you know, where they're at economically, politically? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's a stable country. Um, it's a Ghanaians have a lot of pride there. Overall, I would say, you know, they operate in a much more communal fashion than Americans do. You don't see a lot of people, you certainly do not see a lot of homeless people on the streets. Um, On occasion, you'll see people who are disabled um, begging. But in general, you know, villages take care of each other. People in villages take care of each other. Um, so if you're down and out, you have a support system. Yeah. So that, the, that communal nature was really interesting to witness because I don't think that we have that in the United States. Mm. Um, they are not self-conscious, I would say overall. Um, it's, it's really interesting because Mm. I would say I'm, I'm pretty self-conscious. Right. And so. To be around, when, especially when I was teaching at the University of Ghana, um, the other prof- the professors there, they just said exactly what they felt. They were really open. Mm. They could be extremely argumentative, and then be laughing about something next. You know, they were they they held their own. Mm. They made their points, and then they went on and um, weren't worried so much about what other people thought. And I found that trait really interesting. That is. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, I would say, I mean, this sounds corny. It sounds like something an American would say about another <laughs> culture, but I would say it's a very overall a joyful culture. Mm. Um, Ghanaians seem really happy just to sit and talk and play music and um, dance. You know, culturally, it's just really interesting in terms of their music and their dance. And I don't, I wouldn't say that's cheesy at all, because I feel like that's something that Americans all yearn for. We just don't know how to put the words to it. Mm-hmm. And then we act like we do things to try to like mm-hmm. find that, but it's yeah. just not. Well, I just wanted to be careful because, you know, like sometimes you hear people say, oh, they're poor, but they're so happy. It didn't well, sound like that at all. Yeah. I mean, okay. we, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we have Instagram. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's what we that, replace. you know, that's enough for community. us. That's our community. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. we'll, yeah. We'll just swipe and be joyful yeah. on the couch uh-huh. by ourselves. I know. Yeah. It's such a, I, I hear what you're saying. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, it's like the, the, the person that goes on the mission trip and then takes a picture mm-hmm. with the kids in the village that are smiling and she like comes back and is like, I want that same joy. And then gets on the couch with the phone and just <laughs> right, starts right. swiping. And it's like, why can't I have that? You know, <laughs> right, exactly. like I, I, I totally uh-huh. get that. Uh-huh. Um, 
So let's circle back to Fresno. Okay. Um, so yeah, what time is it? Do you have a bedtime? Yes. So eight thirty. Eight thirty. Okay. So we're yeah, a little we're behind. About 40 minutes past. Um, we can cut your bedtime out of this podcast. Um, no, that's staying. I don't care. It's fine. So, yeah, that's staying. Um, let's let's just talk about. Um, because this podcast is called Fresno's Best. Right. So we uh, should probably talk about Fresno's Best. Yes. Let's talk uh, about Fresno's Best. Which is why you're here. Yes, yes which is why I you're here. I find that very funny. <laughs> like, what keeps you invested in Fresno? What are the or what are stories or people that keep you, um, in, or, like, inspire you? Or does that make sense? Like, Yeah, it makes sense. And I think I would maybe not answer it in the way you might expect. I would just say that with every story that I've done here, I've met someone who's doing something extraordinary, and it helps me to see the humanity behind all the problems that Fresno has, Mm. And, and there are many, but there are incredible people in Fresno doing really hard work. And people who I just admire greatly mm. because not only are they you know, doing this grunt work of it's a grant application for trying to mm. change you know, a, a cultural outlook or um, just dealing with things like bad air or greater things like poverty um i do i see so many people who really come across as non-judgmental and mm. who really see that these problems are systemic and come from are rooted in all kinds of things and it's not you know they're not looking at people who are suffering as as people who somehow got to that place because they didn't make the right choices, mm. but got to that place because of societal problems, infrastructure, racism, poverty, you know, all the reasons people find themselves in situations that are really tough. Mm. So, so yeah, I just think with every story, I, I see that humanity and that's why I, I would say that's why I stick it out. That's why I, I do journalism. It's why I appreciate Fresno because I do see that, I see that light in every story. And you're working on a new project right now. I am. And we're going to start po- with that. And it's, and it's a, yeah, we Surprise, were. we're but then I that. you. Yeah, I, I did a little juke. A little ju- it's called a journalist juke. Um, I'm going to use that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's the juke. first question. Actually, okay. that's going to be the last one. Okay. Um, so this project, it's a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about kind of, is it called the other side of California or the other California? The other California. Yes. And it's mm-hmm. about small towns primarily in the valley mm-hmm. right um so what do, what do you hope to to accomplish with this podcast you know it's a good question to ask at the end because it's sure. kind of what we've been talking about oh, cool. um 
I love the phrase, the other Californian. It was coined by a writer named Gerald Haslam, who originally is from Bakersfield. And one reason he coined that phrase was he thought that the Central Valley in particular just didn't have, you know, it was a region all its own and so different from other parts of California. And yet it didn't get the attention that other parts of California like San Francisco or Los Mm. Angeles get. And it's kind of, um, you know, it's the flyover drive through part of the state. And I thought it would be interesting to do a podcast that sort of took a deeper look at some of the communities that make up the Central Valley or actually the San Joaquin Valley, because we cover we cover seven counties from Merced down to Bakersfield. And so I thought thematically, what if we took a small town in each of those counties and just looked at it more carefully. Um, we looked at like the economy of the town, the changing economy of the town, the tensions in the town, the change makers, um, education, education, exactly. But you know, kind of what makes that town stand out? What makes that town shine? What makes that town um, problematic? Mm. But gives people an opportunity to see more clearly this part of California that just doesn't get probably the attention it deserves. Mm. And so, so we're going to do this podcast called The Other California, where we, we are looking at seven towns. And in fact, I was actually in Woodlake today, which is in Tulare County. And one of the stories that sort of made me want to do this um, is a story about this couple, Olga and Manuel Jimenez, who live in Woodleg, grew up there, and have created this stunning botanical garden um, with the help of teenagers who are doing community service work through their high school. Mm, awesome. And it is just this gorgeous place that has all kinds of fruits and vegetables and flowers. And everyone in the town knows it. Everyone in the town knows them. And it just was such a good example of something that's so special about the San Joaquin Valley Mm. that a lot of people don't know, right? And so I was actually, when I was in Woodlake today, I went to the high school there and I was asking students, what, you know, how would you describe your town? And they were saying funny things, of course, at first, the mm. kinds of things we would use to describe Fresno, like it's pollute, you know, there's pollution, mm. it's hot. But then when we started talking more, um, they had a lot more positive things to say about, about living in a small town. They said, um, everyone knows where you are, so you can't get in trouble because someone else's parent is watching you. Um, so, true. so true, right? So true. And, uh, you know, they, they appreciated that other side, Mm. the good side. Yeah. And I, I work in Chachilla and, um, I remember the day I went and interviewed, um, I called my partner when I got out and we were talking on the phone and a chihuahua and a chicken walked in front of my car. That's priceless. 
and I was moving <laughs> from Los Angeles. Right. You didn't expect a chihuahua and, and a I chicken. Did, I mean, the chihuahua, maybe. The uh-huh. chicken, no. no. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was on a main street. I was on this Robertson. This is a children's book. The chihuahua and the and chicken the ch- yeah, friends. Isn't that Oh, my sweet? gosh. That'd be so cute. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, in spite of that, I took the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and or because of it. Maybe. Probably because I mean, we don't, I don't know if we want to go it. deep. Like that kind of because deep of psychological <laughs> dive right now. Um, but, uh, you know, I can't imagine work anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a... And may I just say you're good. You, you know, mean? I could tell you're a good teacher. When I was in hmm. your classroom a couple of weeks ago. I don't know about that. You are. I, yeah. I, I, I work. I will say I work hard. You work hard. I'm very excited to listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, well, do you have a sense of when it's coming out? Well, we have, we've set some deadlines, but because we're also producing this one hour news show every week and doing daily news, that deadline may get pushed back, but I'm hoping sometime around late May, we do it. That's super exciting. So we can Mm -hmm. find it on like the Apple podcast or we'll see. We'll We'll have to keep in touch with you. Yeah. Yeah. We will let you know. Because I definitely, I definitely want (laughs) to. Uh-huh. about that now and fi- i didn't say what year late may 2025 yeah. we'll specify. just keep changing those last two numbers <laughs> 20 something right um, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. so we we started last time with this number no, we're going to end with this okay. so, and because amy and i so amy's part of this thing where she eats food and posts it on instagram you mm-hmm. do this right amy it's called food club fresno it's called oh, food, food club i Fred. didn't know that yeah we just go around and eat and then we like post it not reviews just uh-huh. like what you ate. Yeah. What uh-huh. we ate and like how amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Amy's, mm-hmm. Amy's plates are famous, mm-hmm. but um, not. yeah, they're very famous. Um, anyway, where do you like to eat? Present? So I really like to eat at Fasica. Oh, um, yeah. there? Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 The owner is so nice. He's he is phenomenal. hilarious. He's hilarious. He's, He's so, so engaging. He so, makes you feel as if, you know, you've been there a thousand times. So, so for people that haven't been to Vasika, mm-hmm. where is it? What is it? So it's Ethiopian food, and it is on Blackstone and close to Gettysburg. Just look for the tattoo stri- parlors, you yeah, will find it. Yeah, it's in a little it. strip mall that's interesting. Like, you could play pool, you could get a tattoo, maybe a massage. Beer. You could buy liquor yeah. and go to Vasika. Yes. <laughs> All um, in one strip mall. I was a little, I was a little intimidated the first time I went to Physique because I really haven't eaten that much Ethiopian food. And mm-hmm. you look at the menu. So mm-hmm. when you go in there, like, how do you know what to order? Is it just experience of trying things? Or um, is there a good place where if you've never had Ethiopian food, you would start? Well, I'm a vegetarian. Okay. <laughs> That's a great place to go. <laughs> that then. Yes. so funny to yes. say. So it's easy for me because I just look on the left side of the menu and there's lots of great vegetable dishes so you know ethiopian food they have um injera yeah i think so the little pancake sourdough kind of flatbread yeah and you so you eat the food with that and and they have collard greens and cabbage and lentils and beets and they're all just spiced really well so yeah i do remember eating a lot of lentils when i was Mm -hmm. there. there's lentils on lentils right um and I think sometimes people think Ethiopian food is spicy. Is that a is that a true stereotype, or is it is that just depending on what you order? The food that I've eaten at Fasika is not spicy. Okay, 
So it's, and that's all I'll say. I'm not going to act like I know. <laughs> yes. yes, give us your experience <laughs> on Ethiopian food. Yeah. The history of Ethiopian food. <laughs> that's the, ne- that's uh-huh. the other side of the world. Yeah, that's a different podcast. The other, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh. civilian. Well, so. thank you for doing this with us. We really well, appreciate it. Thank you, this it. was fun. Um, and I just want to add, too, you know, Fresno's best. So we brought you because journalism is a heroic job. So you are, well, thank you. it really is. It's you're, you're getting the stories out there that people otherwise wouldn't hear. So thank you for right, what you're without doing. A free pe- with, I should say this again, without a free press, you can't have a democracy. Which mm-hmm. is something yes. that we have to work are, towards always. We have to work towards together. keeping it always. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as Jeff Bezos and the Washington Post said, democracy dies in darkness, exactly. right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, and even though we're not journalists here on this podcast, we're, all, we're just trying to shed light on people in Fresno that are doing things that matter. And that's why we brought you on. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're on Instagram, we have an account there where you'll find more information about our show and where you can keep up with the latest episodes and information until next time. See you soon. Fresno. Fresno.